You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. I want to minister to you tonight on winning perspectives. When I talk about winning perspectives, what I'm talking about is the way that you see things. And it really depends where you're seated that will determine how you see things. I always tell people in church, you need to have a top to bottom view, not a bottom from the top view. Because when you give your life to Jesus, you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And everything is under our feet. Amen? But how many know sometimes you've got to get a revelation of that to change your perspective in the midst of your trial in order for you to really prevail the way God wants you to prevail? You've got to get that into your spirit. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. This is in, found in uh, 2 Kings 6. And it's a story of the prophet Elijah, or Elisha, excuse me. And in the story, uh, the enemy that had been harassing Israel came and surrounded Elisha's home with thousands of men. Well, that morning, his servant goes out and probably to get water or something, and he freaks out. He looks at all these soldiers that are on the hills and whatever, runs back in the house and tells Elisha and says, oh, there's thousands of men out there against us. And Elisha says, there's more with us than with them. And the servant goes, what are you talking about? There's two of us, and there's thousands of them. And so the prophet prays for him, and this time he goes out and looks and he sees these chariots of fire. The angels round about protecting them. And many of you know the story. The result was that God blinded those soldiers and they led them into the town that they were oppressing and they became captives because God is more powerful. Can you say amen? But the point that I want you to see from the story is that a perspective had to be changed in order for their faith to work that they might experience the power of God in their life in a great way. So often when I'm dealing with situations, I run with people that, that have a, just a bad perspective. They're not looking at things in the correct way, and because they're not looking at the right way, they're losing their vision, they're losing their faith, and they're starting to doubt that God's going to do what he said he would do. And so tonight I'm going to build and show you the importance of the Holy Spirit in your life to give you a heavenly perspective. Come on, turn to your, turn to your spouse or your friend and say, you need a heavenly perspective. I want you, if you got your Bibles, to, to turn with me to Acts chapter 10, verse 34. If you didn't bring your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. I want to relate to you a story. And this is the very first words that Peter said in this sermon. But here's the story that really is very significant. The apostle Peter was the first one that preached a sermon after the outpouring of the Spirit. And in the sermon he preached that this is that which with the prophet Joel has spoken, that I will pour my Spirit upon all flesh, and my sons and daughters shall prophesy, and so forth and so forth. But this is about, it's hard to chronologically date it, but I would approximately 14 years after that event. Here he is in a house full of Gentiles, not Jews, 
Gentiles are people that are not connected with the Jewish faith in any way, shape, or form. And it started because if you read back in the chapter, he's in a person's house by the name of Joppa, and he's on the rooftop praying and fasting, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit fills him up, and he gets this heavenly vision of a sheet that comes down. And on the sheet is unclean animals, and then he hears the Lord say, take and eat. And Peter said, wait a minute, wait a minute, Lord, I'm a Jew. I'm under food laws. I'm not supposed to eat unclean food. And the Lord shows him the vision again, says, take and eat. And again, Peter's trying to figure this out in his mind. The Lord does it three times. The third time, he says, take and eat. And then he says this, that which I make clean is clean. So Peter's scratching his head trying to figure out what in the world this vision is all about. And the Holy Spirit then speaks to him and says, I want you to go with the men downstairs. That's very significant because they come from Cornelius, who is a centurion in the Roman army. And the last thing Peter wants to be around is the centurion army. He doesn't want to get locked up. He doesn't want to be executed, but the Holy Spirit said go. He goes, and they end up in this house with all these people that are not Jewish. Now, Peter's trying to figure out what this vision is about. And this is where our verse starts out. Put it on. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive, this is from the dream and the vision, that God shows no partiality. In other words, God's no respecter of persons. And this is a revelation to him because he really thought for 14 years and before then that the blessing of God was given in the nation of Israel. You would have an occasional Gentile that would, that would come into the Jewish faith on the outskirts, but never all the way in. And it was. Even though 14 years earlier, when he's preaching prophetically, first sermon without notes, and, he, and God tells him, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel, that I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. Wow. He said it back then, but he didn't see the revelation in it for 14 years. How many know that sometimes you can keep a bad perspective for a long time? Especially if it's something that's integrated inside of your heart from your family or something else a lot of people get a perspective that is wrong and they keep it for a long long time it took God 14 years and two revelations to convince him that it was God's will to pour the Holy Spirit upon everybody and so while he's preaching he says how God anointed Jesus now with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all those that are oppressed of the devil. And when he was saying that, the Holy Spirit fell on these people that were believing, those that believed. And they started to speak in tongues. In the same way that he did with 120 others 14 years earlier. Wow, what a miracle. So Peter was obedient and he goes to the Jerusalem council uh, in the next chapter and he says, listen, we got to let everybody in the church. This is what happened. They received the same manifestation that we received 
14 years ago at Pentecost. So they all agreed, we bring the Gentiles into the church. But what's crazy about it, even with two revelations and that manifestation of the Spirit and everything that he did there, we still find Peter with a wrong perspective. Because you find over in the book of Galatians where Paul rebukes Peter because he was separating himself from the Gentiles and being with the, Jew, with the Jews. And Paul rebukes him and says, so what are you doing? That was years and years after the fact. I'm saying all of this for one reason. The Holy Spirit is so needed for us to get the right perspective. But it takes more than a dream or a vision. It takes more than what God speaks to you. You have to make a decision. I'm going to build on that revelation that God gives me in my life. That God is no respecter of person and that he wants to pour his spirit upon all flesh. I don't know if you understand this to the measure I'm going to preach this tonight. The Holy Spirit will never, ever make you do anything. But he will, in fact, influence you in a powerful way, but you still have to make a decision that I'm going to go with that. In the Old Testament, there's a story told about King Saul who had a jealousy towards David that was so severe that he told his army, I want to find David and I want to kill him. And for years, hunted David. And David stayed in caves with his, with his men because David did not want to kill God's anointed. And he had this burning jealousy of David because David was more popular than he was. And he wanted to murder him. Well, David one time, it says, was with the prophets and, and they were having kind of a camp meeting, having church. Saul found out about it and got, and got on his horse and rode out there to kill David. When he arrives there at the camp meeting or the prayer meeting, whatever you want to call it, the power of God was so strong he falls off the horse. And this is all in your Bible. And then he begins to worship with David for three days. The presence of God was so strong that the desire to kill him was absorbed or controlled by God's presence. And then you read on the story, it's crazy. After three days being in church with the one that you wanted to kill, they separate and go their ways, and then Saul goes right back to wanting to kill David again. It shows me that the Holy Spirit can influence us, but the Holy Spirit cannot make you do the right thing. He can only influence you. And you maybe came here tonight and you got a loser's mindset. You got a, a way of thinking that is ungodly, a way of thinking that you think you're a survivor and, and, and that you can't make it and everything is against you. And you have this viewpoint that everyone's against you and all that stuff. And I could preach and they know you can come on you, but you still got to make a decision afterwards. I'm going to have that God has revealed to me from Scripture. On the head, not the tail of above and not beneath. No weapon formed against me shall prosper.
and I'm an overcomer whether I win any battle at all in this life I'm already an overcomer spiritually and you're going to have to take that home with you and you're going to have to do it the next day when the presence of God is not manifested and the next day when you're in that you know out doing all the stuff that we do you know and we get all this frustration and all this stuff you got to be able to stick with that dream and in spite of what has happened so the Holy Spirit is critical in that and Paul said in Ephesians 6 19 I believe it is or 20 he said be filled with the Spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs he said be filled but I like how, how he says it he says be not drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit and he uses wine now I can, I can relate to this in the days before I got saved and you can relate to this where you go out you get a little tipsy on the wine right and when you get a little tipsy on the wine what do you, you're under the influence you maybe say things you wouldn't normally say you don't feel things that you normally feel you're under the influence now if you get knocked down drunk you'll do things and go places and say things that you never would have said if you were sober don't act so holy tonight <laughs> come on you know what I'm talking about well Paul uses that in connection with being filled with the spirit why because when you're filled with the spirit you're under the influence and I don't know about you I'm a spiritual alcoholic when it comes to the Holy Spirit I'm addicted to the presence of God I'm addicted to his influence I'm addicted to it I need to have a drink every day of the spirit in my life <laughs> but think what would happen to you if you didn't pray in the spirit if you didn't build yourself up on your most holy faith think what would happen if you didn't come to church and worship think what would happen if you don't put yourself in that position where you are under the influence of the holy spirit in your life you wouldn't have that influencer that changes your perspective when Joyce and I first got married, we had disagreements like every other couple, and she would go in the shower and pray. She cheated. <laughs> and she would get under the influence of the Spirit to be able to tolerate me. And I would go to my prayer room, and I would pray and get in the Spirit so that I could get under the influence to tolerate her. And then with all that, we were able to change our perspective and work through the difficulties in life. But what if... You never get filled with the Spirit. What if your idea of church is hearing a quick sermon and going home and you don't get in the Spirit, you don't pray in the Spirit? And I know we're going to get controversial here in just a second. What if you're like so many people in the body of Christ who have a form of religion, but they don't have the power? there are four examples in scripture of when the church received the power of God when it started the first is found in Acts 2 verse 1 through 3 they were all filled with the spirit and spoke in tongues most people know that at Pentecost and out from that 3,000 people got saved the next example that we have in scripture is Paul's conversion where this bright light comes around him and it, it blinds him and so they take him to a town and uh, God speaks to a, a, a disciple 
of, of the Lord in a vision and says, I want you to go to Paul and I want you to pray for him and that he be healed and that he would receive the Holy Spirit. Of course, he doesn't want to because this Paul or Saul was persecuting the church and arresting Christians. You ever notice God always tells you to do something that's hard? But he goes and he prays, and the Bible said that Paul's eyes, who were blinded by this vision, were open. He could see. And it says that he received the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't say he spoke in tongues, but we know he was a tongue talker because in 1 Corinthians 12, he said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Or I take that back. I think it's chapter 14. So that's two examples in, in it, right? Third example is a Samaritan revival. In the Samaritan route, Philip, who is a deacon that gets promoted to be an evangelist, anointing comes on him. He goes to Samaria and so has a healing meeting. People are being healed and delivered, and people are getting saved. It says that they were water baptized. You don't get water baptized until you get saved. But he said that the Holy Spirit did not come on any of them. None of them. So he says, you're not going home. We're going to go ahead and send for Peter and John. They said for Peter and John, probably take about a week, and these people are all waiting for Peter and John to come. They come, they lay hands on them, and the Bible says that they received the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say they spoke in tongues, but they received the Holy Spirit. Now, our church fathers say they spoke in tongues, but Scripture is silent. So we have that example. And then the last one is in Acts 19, and these are the disciples of Apollos who know about Jesus, They've been baptized in the baptism of repentance, but they don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Paul comes and preaches to them and lays his hands on them and prays for them, and all of them spoke in tongues. All of them. Now, the point I'm trying to tell you is simply this. Peter got the revelation that God is no respecter of persons, that he will pour his spirit upon all flesh. And the very manifestation that proved that he's no respecter of persons was everyone spoke in tongues when the spirit of God came upon them. That's the point that I'm trying to get across to you. It is, people just read it wrong, go, well, that's just for certain people or whatever. At Pentecost, there was 120 people there, and there was only 11 people called to the ministry in that group. All the rest were ordinary people. All the rest were just people that had jobs, that did this and did that, and the Holy Spirit came on all of them, and all of them were filled with the Spirit. At Cornelius' house, which I don't know how many people were there, they all spoke in tongues as well, and the apostles of Apollos, every one of them had the same manifestation. And everyone that loved Jesus said amen. I'm saying that not to be divisive at all. I'm saying that because God wants to give his spirit to everybody. And I always tell people that get upset about, well, I don't know about this tongue stuff. You can tell if you're filled with the spirit by one thing. Are you ready? When you sing and when you pray, you get built up in your most holy faith and the manifestation of God's presence becomes more tangible. But if you can sing all day and feel nothing, you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. That's it. That's why I said be filled with the Spirit 
speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and that's exactly why in the church today you got some churches you go and there's like a dead mackerel when it comes to the to the worship it's because people are not filled yet once you get filled and you sing the manifestation of God's presence becomes more and more tangible to you and that releases the gifts of the spirit within you in a way that was never released before and someone out of shout hallelujah right now I wanted to lay that foundation because to me when I sing even when I'm not singing in tongues the manifestation of the spirit if I'm doing it in faith becomes stronger and stronger and stronger when I was preparing this message, I was talking about these truths. And as I began to talk about them, I started falling under the power of the Spirit. That didn't happen when I was raised a Catholic. That didn't happen when I was, you know, going to catechism. and That didn't happen. I'd sit in church week after week after week, and it's just... He's, you know, he just says, love one another. There's, there's no manifestation. But once God's Spirit came into my life like that, praise God, now there's a, a manifestation of the Spirit of God. Of course, it's not, he's not always manifested if I'm worrying or I'm concerned or I, I'm in doubting. But if I can just worship him, it always gets stronger and stronger. Hallelujah! And that's what I would encourage all of you to do is, is if that's not happening, there's something missing that we can pray in faith for. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. Remember, the disciples received the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. In John 20, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But then he said, wait in Jerusalem till you receive power from on high. So we got the Spirit within us, and we got the Holy Spirit upon us. Hallelujah! But it's something that the devil's got in there and put in a wedge really silly because the church needs power we need power we need power in our marriages we need power in our careers we need power sharing our faith we need power and that's not going to happen if we don't jump all the way in so your perspective then is affected by the moving of the holy spirit in your life we need the Holy Spirit to help us say, Lord, I, I can't seem to let this go. How am I looking at this in the wrong way? Paul, he was so convinced about this. Ephesians chapter 1, Holy Spirit put in Scripture that Paul said, I'm always praying that the eyes of my understanding be enlightened to the hope of his calling, the incompatible great power for those who believe, and so forth and so forth and so forth. He prayed that all the time for the people in the church that they would get a revelation their perspective would change. Because if it doesn't, when you're in a storm, you'll get afraid. If it doesn't, when you're in a crisis, you'll fall apart. But if we could just turn to God and say, Lord, we're not by ourselves here. You're with us. You can give us the breakthrough. And notice, he gives us the Spirit. I'm, let me just say this. When you're filled with the Spirit, 
you become an engine that can produce the power of God in your life. You can actually produce, because in the Old Testament, the power of God would come on people and then it would lift. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes on us to stay. Hallelujah. You need your vision and dream to work? Give it with the Spirit, because then when you begin to dream it and envision it, the Holy Spirit will move all upon it in your life and direct you and guide you, and it'll be beautiful. But you need the presence of God to influence you in that way to bring it to pass. And Peter had the revelation that God's no respecter of persons. He'll pour his spirit on everybody that calls upon his name. Not just, not, not just me, not just prophets, not just evangelists, not just apostles, but everybody. Someone ought to be excited right now that God would do that for us. The Bible tells us in Romans 3rd chapter that we are justified by the law of faith. It calls it a law. Romans 8, 2 says this, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life is the law of faith. And it sets us free from the law of sin and death. In other words, the law of sin and death in the Old Testament, if you wanted to be blessed, you had to do all the commandments of God. If you didn't do them, you got cursed. If you did them, you were blessed. In the New Testament... We are blessed by the faith that we display in the commandments of God. The law of faith. And the crazy thing about a law is that it's no respecter of persons. You've got natural laws, you've got spiritual laws. Faith is a spiritual law. A natural law, you can take anyone. It doesn't matter whether they are big, small, skinny, overweight, good-looking, ugly, if they step off this stage, gravity will take in, take them down. Doesn't matter what they were thinking about that day. It all works the same. Are you following me? If it wasn't little children that stepped off cliffs, gravity wouldn't touch it. Why do you want to hurt a little child? It's no respecter. The law of faith is no respecter of persons either which means God will heal you just like he healed other people in the Bible. He's no respecter of persons. He will prosper you just like he prospered other people in the Bible. He'll prosper you. He'll give you hell. Come on. He'll bless your family. He'll do all. He's no respecter of persons. That's all within this revelation that God is no respecter of persons beautiful you know I got eight grandkids and they're so adorable and my wife gets mad at me because I want to buy something for one of them because maybe I'm with them and the other ones I'm not so I got them over in Oregon and got them here and, he, and my wife always says the same thing whatever you buy for one you got to buy for everybody so if you spend $20 on Alexander you're going to have to spend $20 on Kellen and all the other ones. Amen? That's the way God is with us. 
If you didn't receive your $20, he stores it up for you. That's what I do. I store it up. I say, okay, put all this money aside. This is for all my grandkids. And that's the way it is in the body of Christ. Sure, someone gets healed. Say, Where's my healing? It's still there for. God didn't spend it on anybody else. It's right there for. It's an inheritance. Praise God. God's no respecter of persons. Just dip it and receive it. Woo, I love this. Praise God. But do you see, see what I'm talking about here? This is all connected to God. He's no respecter of persons. He wants to bless you. There's a little bit of balance. Everybody has different callings and gifts God gives you. And my calling, I'm responsible for, your call, responsible for your calling. But God still blesses all of us the same. We just have different callings. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here tonight because you needed this <laughs> amen now listen to me I'm going to show you something that's going to really help you out a lot why is it that some people when they look at something all they see is what's wrong with it and other people all they see is what's right with it why is it, Jesus said, judge not with what measure you judge, it shall be measured to you. Why is it some people go negative on us? Why is their perspective always negative? The reason why is your core belief. If your core belief is off, it's going to produce a problem. Let me give you an example. Husband and wife. The wife looks at her son and believes he can do whatever he puts his hand to do. He's absolutely perfect. He has angels' wings. And she just believes he's perfect. Now, she'll never get negative towards that child because her core belief is that he can do anything he puts his hand to do. She'll always stay positive. The husband, on the other hand, maybe he was beat by his father. Maybe he hasn't accomplished all the dreams that he wants. So he looks at his son and compares his son to himself and says, well, you can't do that because he's never done it. And he will always be given to negativity rather than being positive. When you are exposed to the gospel in the right way, it'll always produce an optimistic, a positive approach to everything because the grace is involved and the mercy is involved and you begin to believe. That's why the Bible says love believes all things. It doesn't mean it's gullible. It just means it always believes the best of people. Believes people can change where of the grace and the mercy of God. Another reason why people have a wrong perspective is because some people are people pleasers. They're always trying to please everybody. And I've seen it in families where the wife, everybody's got to agree with the, with the wife what she wants to do, the husband and all the kids and everything else. And if they don't line up with what you want, she pouts around and all that stuff. And you have all that friction. You've got men do the same thing. If you've got to agree with them, you've got to agree with them. And they abuse their wife and, and, and belittle her until she finally complies to it. And it's because they're living with this concept, I can't feel good about myself unless everybody likes me. There's a story told of a, an older grandpa. He's with his grandson, and they lived on a farm. And so 
uh, they were going to town and so the grandfather got on the donkey while his grandson led the donkey and they're walking down through the trail and some people saw they go that's not right that old man is making his grandson walk he ought to put the grandson up on the donkey and he should walk so the elder guy gets off the donkey and gets down puts his grandson up there and they start going for it they come across some more people they said that's not right grandpa should be on the on the donkey and the and the boy should be doing that and so they're they're trying to please and so the grandson and 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 the grandfather get on the donkey together and they're riding along and all of a sudden some people say that's so cruel to that poor donkey they shouldn't be riding them so they both get off and they try to pick up the donkey and walk now the moral of the story is simply this you will never ever please everybody in your life the only one that we need to please is God he's the one that matters is him you're always going to have people that don't understand you always have people that are just weirded out about you or whatever they don't know where you come from they don't know where you're going but you've got to be confident in God in your life and press in with God and as you press in with God everything's going to begin to change your life but notice the perspectives are like that and my question tonight to you is this are you given to negativity in your life you need the Holy Spirit to give you a new perspective because the Jesus I know believed that everyone could be changed he believed that God's grace could transform you I love the woman that washed his feet and he says he is forgiven much loves much there's no one here that can't be changed and have a positive perspective but if we don't have the Holy Spirit help us with this we'll go our own way we'll think the way that we want to think and we'll really miss out on what God has for us amen now I want to throw something out here because anytime you talk about being positive there's the danger of false positives a false positive is when somebody's positive about something when what they're doing is in fact a negative thing a destructive thing how many remember years ago this is years ago when they came out with rapture movies and they had all these movies about 666 and I remember talking to some some carnal Christians they said well pastor I know I should be in church I know I should be practicing my faith but one thing I do know, I will never take the sign of the beast. And I didn't know at that time until the Lord showed me, but in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says this, and this is, this is a, a fault, or a, a fault, uh, how do I see? It is a positive that is actually wrong. Is in the scriptures, it says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says there's a great falling away, which, by the way, are people who are not yet born again. And I'll explain that to you in a minute. And then it goes down on the bottom of that chapter, and he says this, that during the time of the great tribulation, that those who did not love the truth to be saved, God will hand over to a delusion, and they'll believe the Antichrist. So it doesn't do any good to call something love when it's not love. It doesn't 
do any good to say this is a lovely thing and it be a corrupt thing oh it's a lovely thing that a man loves a man or it's a lovely thing that a woman loves a woman and you know, homosexual all that stuff that's not built on truth it's a false positive and it's wrong to think that you can wait until all hell breaks loose to accept Christ that's crazy the only people that get saved during the great tribulation are people that haven't heard the gospel and 120,000 out of the Jewish nation everyone else believes the antichrist in that time so what's the point except Christ now don't play around with fire right now is the day of salvation and I'm excited about it praise God the, this is a perspective that you've got to have to lay hold of the decisions you need to make to follow God you can't call you know I'll, do, I'll sow my wild oats now and be fine later well maybe maybe not as I said on Sunday the more you disobey the less likely you are of changing Amen. Turn to a few people and say, uh, I know this is for you. I'm positive this is for you. I've got my act together. I'm really feeling like God's moving in the right direction here. Praise God. I want to close with this. One of the things that keeps Christians in a state of demonic oppression is fear. Fear isn't just an emotion. It comes from entities without bodies. It comes from demons without bodies. It isn't just an emotion. That's why the Bible says God did not give you a spirit of fear. He didn't say that's why God didn't give you the emotion of fear. He said spirit. Your spirit is a spirit. And I want to show you how David dealt with fear so that you can get the right perspective look what it says this is found over in 1st Samuel chapter 17 verse 48 this is David before he uh, kills Goliath but I want you to see the things that happened before this statement he goes out to give his brothers lunch in the battlefield he finds out there's this big guy bad mouthed all of Israel and say come on take me on take me on whatever David goes how come someone ain't out there killing this guy he's just a Philistine his brother said you're just you're just cocky you're just a boy just shut up anyway the word gets out and David said no I'll fight him they bring him before King Saul now Saul's scared too and Saul shouldn't have been scared because he was one of the tallest guys of Israel he's a chicken and what does he do he goes negative he said David you can't do this you weren't raised to fight like that David said no I killed a lion and a bear and killed this guy and he said well you know this guy was raised from youth to fight you have been a shepherd boy and he keeps going negative goes negative goes negative finally David says no I can do this Saul said okay go ahead and listen to what he says so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David hurried and ran. Say it with me, hurried. And he ran 
towards the army to meet the Philistine. He wasn't just running towards what everybody was afraid of. He was running towards the army they were afraid of. And we know the story. He takes the sling, knocks him out. He's unconscious. He runs over there, takes out a sword, cuts off his head, shows everybody his head. They all flee. And David starts his ministry as a giant slayer. Amen? But here's what I want you to see. The fear wouldn't go away because you say there's no fear here. It went away when he ran, out, ran it towards it. Didn't run, didn't run away when he ran from it. it uh, he overcame it when he ran at it. You got faith, quit being afraid of these fears, these spirits. You run right at it. You, you know, you're afraid to witness to somebody because they may not accept you. So what? You run up to them and say, listen, I got to share this. I love you. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Worst that they can say is, I don't want to know. Church, we've got to wake up. We've got to be stronger than what a lot of Christians are in the church today. They're scared of their own shadow. They're afraid. Chicken. We've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And we've got to get out of our mind that we don't, let that, we don't go get back to normal until all the circumstances change. That's not the way you overcome the devil. That's not the way you overcome problems. You overcome it by facing it and running at it head on and not retreat from it from any way, shape, or form. That's how you overcome it. The Lord showed this to me in a revelation. You ever have something that you experience is negative in your life? A season or, or you just know these certain set of circumstances create this problem? And as soon as you do, this kind of dread comes over you. you know, oh gosh, I got to go through this again. You know what I'm saying? Here's what the Lord told me. He said, why are you doing that? I said, well, I know. I've experienced it. He said, you're going about it all wrong. He said, where in my word does it say that I wait until the circumstances change before I turn up my power? It didn't say it anywhere in the word. In fact, the power's turned up. As soon as you start getting resistance, that's when the power of God is turned up in your life. Think about it. God said that you receive the hundredfold in this life, watch this, with persecution. In other words, as the resistance is coming at you, that's when the hundredfold starts coming forth. Paul said it this way. He says, when I'm weak, I am strong. He didn't say I'm weak for a while and hopefully God will make me strong in a week or so. No, he said, when I'm actually weak, that's when I am strong. God's power was not weak in the storm that Peter and the apostles were on. It became strong when they were swept out in the middle of the lake. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. It was strong when he stepped out on that water. Because why? God says that where sin abounds, grace does much more. God always turns it up. He turns it up. He turns it up. Whether it's a vision, whether it's a dream, he turns that stinking thing up. And there's power 
but again it won't work if our perspective is wrong and where our perspectives are well well i'll wait until circumstances get better what fight now cast out the devil now quit waiting until everything gets better start sowing now start serving now get out of your house start praying start seeking god start worshiping god don't keep cowering down with fear praise god we are more than conquerors hallelujah there's a power in this anyway you can tell them a little while up about this but i want you to see that the holy spirit wants us with a perspective that we can reign because i had an argument with god the other day i said lord i'm upset i said your word said that righteousness will reign over unrighteousness but i'm seeing a lot of places unrighteousness reigning over righteousness and that's not your will it's not God's will that you go broke. It's not God's will that you stay sick. It's not God's will that your marriage falls apart. It's not God's will that you be defeated. It is God's will that our, the grace of God and the mercy of God overcomes the obstacles in our life and brings success and victory in our life. That's God's will. God is greater than sin. God is greater than fear. God is greater than every demon. And Satan himself is terrified of this message he hates it when people preach like this because he bullies people he pushes them around he puts fear in there what we got to do is rise up with a perspective of a saint of god and say you're not going to defeat me you stinking devil you are defeated thanks for listening today for more messages like this one check out our podcast river app and our website at the river.church We're the river, and we're doing life together.